stand. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us and the plans that you have for us and that we get to be a part
Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. One, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Am I supposed to stand here? Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strength you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life.
Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray together the collect. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Grant us so to be joined together in unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Children, if you would come forward. <laughs> and there they are, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to see you. Nice crowd. 
Good to see everyone. If you would uh, reach out your hands and pray with me, we'll bless these children as they go off to Sunday school. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would watch over and keep all of these, your children, safe and strong, filled with courage and understanding and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <laughs> spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 89, beginning at verse 31. Please respond by the half verse. If they break my statutes... Then I will punish their transgression with the rod. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him. My covenant I will not break. Once I have sworn by my holiness, His seed shall endure forever. It shall be established forever like the moon. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Our second lesson this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 6, commencing at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. as we hear this holy gospel, the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory be to you, Lord Christ. Christ. We are reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 37, excuse me, chapter 10, beginning at verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross And follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he, will, he shall by no means lose his reward. The gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. Now the sounds of heaven 
opportunity to come before you, to worship you. Lord, we pray that you would just open up our eyes to see the wondrous things that you're doing in our midst. Help us to fix on you the highest good, the ultimate in our life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
So we've been talking about the early church here for the past few weeks. We've got this week and then next week, and we'll take a little break and we'll come back to it because there's a lot in this book of Acts about what a church should be like, who a church should be. And today, as I was going through our story today, I just want you to keep in mind some of the things that we've been talking about, some of the ways that we've been uh, studying the early church. We found out that they were commissioned, right, in the ascension. We started way back then. That's actually where Acts starts. It begins with Jesus leaving his disciples, and they are standing there looking at the sky. And the angel goes, why are you standing there looking at the sky? There's stuff to do. So they were commissioned to go into the world and be the body of Christ of the world, since Christ has now risen to reign on high in heaven. And then we found out that they were empowered. So they were commissioned to be the body of Christ of the world, and then they received power to do so. In fact, the same power that we were just singing about here when we were talking about the Holy Spirit coming and moving in our midst. And that's when we talked about Pentecost and the fire that came down to transform them that they may bring that spirit and that transforming power to the world. And last week we got the first story of what the church did now that they've been empowered, now that they knew their mission. What did they do? And we got this wonderful story about Peter and John walking into the temple to do their prayers. They're doing the normal religious things, but they stop because there's a lame beggar there and they speak Jesus's healing power in his life. And he gets up this man who was lame from birth. We're told he was 40 years old. He'd been lame. He gets up and he's singing and dancing and praising the Lord, walking with them into the temple. And we're told shortly thereafter that that number, the 3,000 that came into the church uh, at Pentecost, has now increased to 5,000 because they're doing things like this. They're doing things where they had compassion, where they were generous, where they operated in the power of the Holy Spirit and brought healing to this man's life. And that brings us to what we're talking about today because don't you know when that starts to shake things up, the religious leaders get a little bit concerned. The Jewish leaders, in fact, immediately come to see what the problem is. Peter's preaching about the healing of this man. He's talking about the saving power of Jesus in a temple that is run by the Sadducees. And if you guys remember the Sadducees, they're the people who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's pretty awkward to be preaching Jesus, who they know died on a cross as the Lord of all creation, the Lord of life, the Messiah, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so that's where we start. We've got Peter and John. They're being detained by these religious leaders, and they're being questioned. It's very similar to how Jesus was treated by these same leaders. And so we're going to jump in here in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
So there's an interesting factor here that I want to consider that's actually not just the historical animosity that the Sadducees had for this idea of the resurrection of the dead. I think that this idea, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is the chief stumbling block for the world today. And what I mean by that is I've heard even Christians who go to church say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't know about that whole resurrection from the dead bit. That's a little hard to believe. That's central to what you believe, and yet you think you can be a Christian without doing it. In our current day and age, if you walked up to literally anybody on the street and said, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead? Even if they were a Christian, I bet they might say, I don't know. Because it's a hard thing to believe that someone who came and said, I am the Savior of the world, was then brutally murdered and betrayed. And then, don't worry guys, he rose from the dead and he still is the Savior of the world. That was a hard pill to swallow, a hard idea to understand. But what does Paul say about this? He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, of all people the most to be pitied. Why is that? Because in the early church, these same people, Peter and John, that we're talking about, they're being questioned by the religious leaders. Very soon, they're going to start to be killed. They're going to be crucified or stoned or beheaded or drowned or any number of ways. Well, guess what? If you don't believe in the resurrection, that is stupid. It is dumb to believe a faith that gets you killed if there's no resurrection from the dead. If there isn't hope beyond death. And so what Paul was responding to just a short time later was, Hey, you know your friend who brought you to Christ, who was beheaded by the Romans? He is stupid if he didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And you are stupid likewise. Our hope is not just in this life. Our hope is in the resurrection from the dead. The reason Peter and John are confidently standing before these religious leaders a mere weeks after they barred themselves in their room when Jesus died to hide from these same people. Remember, these are the same cowering disciples who, after Jesus was crucified, locked themselves in a room and were waiting to be dragged to their own deaths by the religious leaders. Now they're standing in the temple doing exactly what Jesus did and saying, that guy rose from the dead, fully knowing that they're putting their head on the chopping block. Why would they do that? People don't change. Haven't you heard? We're all stuck in our ways. Well, they changed because they encountered the risen Christ. That will change you. That will change you. In fact, one of our greatest evidences for the truth of Christianity is the fact that 11 men of no repute, later it says they're uneducated, they're basically dumb hicks, 11 men were cowering in a room, betraying their Lord and Savior, and then 50 days later, they're proclaiming the good news of his resurrection. That doesn't make sense. And then when they tortured and killed them, they still said, yeah, but he rose from the dead. I don't know about you, but if I was lying, I would not let somebody torture me to death. It makes no sense. 
And so when we talk about this and we talk about the resurrection from the dead, although it is a stumbling block to our Western modern intellectual ideas about how the world works, we have to remember that we serve a powerful God who created life itself. So yes, of course, we believe and we declare today that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, there's this alternate option that's given in our modern world that is kind of cracking me up lately. Uh, have you heard of these celebrities and these billionaires who are getting the young people to donate their blood so that they can stay young? It's this whole thing. Basically, um, there's this idea that you can actually regenerate your blood cells by getting transfusion from younger, healthier blood cells. Crazy. Or you look at somebody, you know, an icon of pop culture, uh, Madonna, and she looks like she's not even human anymore because she's so committed to being young and living forever. What's going on over here? Or even, and this one might be a little more controversial if you've heard of this guy, there's this guy named Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist who optimizes human health. He takes like 15 different supplements that he's researching. He does all these things. He does the cold plunge. You've probably heard of that where people get in these ice baths and then they, you know, do this like workout and they do these things. And literally you can be the most optimal human being that you've ever seen if you just follow his plan to deny that we're all dying. Now, I, I phrase that very aggressively, right? I think it's awesome to optimize your life. Please do. It's great. Worship God who created everything that is, who said that the earth is good, but there's this mania around some of these trends. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to resurrect themselves. They deny the power of Christ's resurrection, and then they spend all their time and money and effort trying to resurrect themselves. This is the problem with the resurrection. That's why I say I think it's the stumbling block, because we desperately in this world want to have significance, meaning, life after death. We all have that deeply ingrained because God made us that way. And yet we chase all of these other ways to do it. And yet God says, no, actually, the way that you resurrect from the dead is you die. Makes no sense whatsoever except that our whole faith is organized around a Savior who died on the cross and rose again. And in our baptism, He invites us to join Him. Come along for the ride. Lay down your life. It's absurd to tell people in the modern day when we have all of these tools and all of this technology and all of this power, unlike anybody in the history of the world, you can go to your home, you can flip a switch, and your home is heated, cooled, the lights turn on, the plumbing works. Kings didn't have that. And yet we're standing here saying, and what you need to do is you need to take up your cross, your torturous murder device, and follow God, Jesus, who died. Lay it all down for him. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to turn the lights off and not have heating and air. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying everything you have needs to be given to him. Because no matter what you do, no matter how powerful you are, there is no other name but his. There is no other way to life, to goodness. We were just singing about that. Hello, hope. Hello, strength. Hello, peace. How many people out there are chasing hope, strength, peace, and they just can't find it? Because it's all here. It's all with him. It's all his way. 
That's why Christianity was causing people to want to murder them. Because they came into a scene where they had a plenitude of gods. Right? They come onto the scene, and the Romans have been conquering every tribe, every nation, and they're basically saying, yeah, your gods you served obviously don't work because we just took over. But the Romans were interesting because instead of saying, now you have to worship our God, they said, well, we can worship your God too. Just bring them all in. They had a policy where they basically said, like, everybody can do whatever they want. And we look around at America, and the next great Rome says, you can do whatever you want. All of your religions are welcomed here. And yet the Christians came onto that scene and said, no, actually... You have to serve this carpenter, this Jewish from the Galilean backwater of Nazarene, and you have, to, you have to praise him, the guy who died on a cross. And no other God gets to be worshipped. That wasn't going to fly. Not with these people. And so when we talk about the early church, we have to remember that they are in the same context that we are in today. Now, Of course, there are differences. But my point is that we're facing the exact same challenges as them. We're facing a world that says, just do what works for you. Worship the God that serves your purposes. All of it boils down to one thing. You are the glowing center of the universe. And you get to decide whatever you want. And across all of history, the call of these early Christians is, no, actually, You have to worship one God, and only him shall you serve. And so let's continue. Let's get back to our story. Went a little long on my first rant here. Um, But there's more going on. So they say, basically they pulled him in because you're preaching that this guy died and rose from the dead, and that's crazy. We can't let you preach that. So we continue, and it says, And they arrested them, put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this or did you do this? What are they talking about? They're talking about how did you heal that lame beggar? What power did you use? What name did you use? This is the central question of our culture. What power and what name? I, had, I literally spent half of my prep time writing a whole treatise on postmodernism, and Derrida has a book on On the Name, and uh, Foucault has a book called Power. And Let me just tell you, this is central, and they know it. But let's talk about how it applies to us today. Because truly the question is, who are you going to trust? Where is the power? Where is the name? What does that have to do with? That has to do with what is true. What can you trust? Right? A man would swear by the name of that which is trustworthy, that which is true. And today in America, the big question is, what is true? Who do you trust? And we all know that the government, the media, trust the science. We know that there's flaws in each of those. Yes, absolutely, they have their place. They can communicate information or they can provide uh, uh, services. They can, I mean, science gave us so much 
the scientific method and the people who develop these technologies. So it often seems like, well, isn't the smart thing just to trust the people who gave us that air conditioning, the lights and the plumbing and all the other stuff? But we all know, we all know that that is empty in the end. More than ever, we know that if you trust the government, you're going to end up like the people who trust the Roman government back in the day. You're going to end up with the same problems of corruption, of power abused. You can, you can trust the science and we'll have another COVID reaction, pandemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call it. We all know that there were problems with these things. But what was the real problem? The real problem was putting government, science, media, whatever, in the place of God. They each have their place, right? In fact, the scientific method has brought more prosperity to the world than almost any idea in the history of the world. But do you know why it did that? Because it was driven by the Christian idea that all humans are worthy of love and care. Science as a tool for the expansion of the goodness of God, praise him. That's awesome. Let's do it. But science as your source of life, of truth, of resurrection, empty, empty. And so when they say, by what power, by what name you do this, they mean like, who's your high priest? Who's your Pharisee? Who's, your, who's the trusted one? How are you doing this? Because they're the gatekeepers for God. So you can't be doing it by the power of God. We're the gatekeepers. You didn't do it our way. And so they had fallen into this problem where they weren't able to hear what God was doing through these people. In fact, later on, we don't even read this passage today because we don't have the time. But they say, we can't deny that something amazing and powerful has happened, but we can't let them talk about this Jesus guy. How backwards is that? By the power in the name of Jesus, they heal someone and they go, well, we can't deny the power of what has happened here, but you better not talk about this Jesus fellow. Don't do that again. And so we see we're in this same context here. In fact, not to go down too many rabbit trails here, but our culture is perfectly fine with lauding the power and the efficacy of the church. Just as long as you don't talk about how Jesus is Lord over all creation. Just so long, you know, the church is great. You know, they love people. They feed the poor. They have all these ministries. Just don't bring that Jesus guy into it. In fact, we still have like honorary prayers at like the inauguration. We have all these ways of honoring the role of the church. Just don't talk about Jesus. Amen and a woman, right? There is this idea in our culture that you are fine to do good works, but don't have good ideas. Don't talk about the truth that motivates everything. Today, what we're learning is that part of what made the church the church was that it was always and ever centered on Jesus. When we talk about all their qualities, their generosity, their power, their compassion, it's because they were centered on Jesus, who he was, who he is, who he will ever be. So when it says, by what power or by what name, I'm going to ask you all to reply, by what power, by what name? Jesus. It's the Bible school answer. Amen. A plus to all of you. Now, the problem we have is that we tend to fall into maybe not trusting the government or the science or the media or even your favorite podcaster. The problem I see more and more is I want to do everything in my own name and power. 
By the name of Jesse, I will buy that fancy new piece of technology. In the power of Jesse, I will supply all my needs and wants through Amazon and the sweat of my brow. We are so convinced of our own ability to satiate all of our needs. Or you'll make decisions about your life. You won't even ask God for his opinion. He might have one. We are so confident in our own ability to discern truth. And I see this even like we're arguing, like when I used to work in the restaurants, I'd have these deep arguments about what was really going on in the government or in this philosophy or this idea. And everyone knows that they are right. They're so confident that they are right. Including myself. Let me just include that here, right? I am so sure that I know who to listen to and what to trust and how to discern. But it's only by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can know the truth. The truth that sets you free. So let's talk about what happens next, right? Because they've asked this question, and believe it or not, I know I've been talking a lot, but we haven't heard what the disciples said yet. So, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I love how he phrases it, right? They're they're coming at him. They've arrested them. They're acting like they've done something wrong. And he goes, if you're wondering about this good deed we did to a crippled man, let me explain. It is by Jesus' power. This is how you know if Jesus is present in a community. By the power of healing, of life, of compassion, of truth. You know it by its fruits. What did Jesus say? How will they know you are my followers? By the way, you love one another. And they're saying, look, we're loving this Jewish man, our community. And you're coming at us saying you've done something wrong. This is what we do. This is who Jesus has called us to be. And then he continues because Peter, he might be my favorite uh, uh, sermon giver of all time. He just has to keep going. And he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. There is no other name, science, government, media, pleasure, your own inflated arrogance. There is nothing that will save you except for Jesus. And that encounters the world And they say, you bigots, you hateful people. Don't you know that Indians have been worshiping in Hinduism for thousands of years and Buddhist and the Islam? Look at the hundreds of years of tradition there and look at all these great religions and even the atheists. I mean, you can find atheists back in the days of Plato and Socrates. So who are you to say that you are right and they are wrong? And all we can do is say, Jesus was a man who was God, who walked around healing, performing works of power, teaching people what it means 
to be human the way that God designed it. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. And to this day, his disciples, his followers have continued to be that to the world. If you take that seriously, and if you look at the history of the church, the martyrs, the miracles, the long progression of ideas and truth and understanding, you will see evidence all around of the power and the truth of our testimony. And everyone knows, everyone here knows, that you actually can't believe two contradictory things at the same time. And this is not a logic lesson, but let's just walk through something really quick. When people say, you should be able to accept your truth and my truth, but then you have one religion that says, like, let's use Islam for an example. Very popular, very amazing people that I've encountered and met who believe this religion. But in their religion, they say Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Well, the truth of the matter is, Jesus either did die on the cross or he didn't. You actually don't get to play both sides. You don't get to play both sides of the court. That's what the Romans were trying to do. They were saying, yes, your gods were not the supreme gods, but they can be a part of our group. You guys can all worship whatever you want. But that is not the truth. And going back to what we were talking about with resurrection, if our hope is for the life after this world, Well, someday we're all going to die, and guess what? You're going to meet your maker. And Jesus said, those who are not for me are against me. So I don't know about all of you, but I want to serve the God who created everything and his son who died for my sins and rose from the dead. I don't want to play the field. I don't want to hedge my bets. I want to know what's true. Now, if you want a whole course on apologetics and we can talk about everything, let me just tell you the evidence is on our side. But the power of the Holy Spirit is the evidence in our life that we have been welcomed into his kingdom. Amen? And so I know it from the ways that I've walked with these people in this room. I've seen people healed. I've seen people set free. I've seen people transformed by the power of the Word of God and His Holy Spirit. So why were the disciples so effective in their time? I think there's a lot of ways to answer that question. But at the very least, it starts here. Because they built their faith on the man, Jesus Christ, who they knew had died and rose from the dead, and by the power that he had given them to heal the sick, raise the dead, to set people free. And so when we look at our church, I do want to ask that question. Are we operating in the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us? Are we walking with him, and are we seeing people set free and healed and raised from the dead? Because that's what we're told is central to our faith. Ultimately, I think part of what needs to happen is all of us need our eyes opened. Because I think we see miracles every day. Ways that God provides for us. Ways that God comes through for us. Ways that God transforms us. And when you look at this and you see the boldness of Peter and John, that's the very next verse. When you see the boldness of Peter and John, I just want more of that. 
Because I'm perfectly happy to stand here at this pulpit with all of you nodding along and smiling and amening. But am I the guy who's going to go before the religious leaders, the, the zealots of our day, and say, no, Jesus Christ is Lord? Am I willing to even share with my neighbor who might be curious, hey, do you know who Jesus is? It's an open question, I will tell you. I don't have the evidence to back myself up here. It's an open question. So let's talk about what happened here. This is my favorite paragraph, actually, of the story here. We'll keep going here. It says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, (laughs) they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing before them, beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. There's that classic bumper sticker. Preach the gospel, use words only if you have to. I get it. The words really matter. Let me just tell you that. But we should be living such that people have nothing to say in opposition. How can I confront the healthy, vibrant, life-giving work of the church with opposition? That should be the question on everybody's minds. Instead, the question is, why is the church so corrupt and hypocritical? We got work to do. Now, I will say, I think God is doing that work in us at St. Michael's. Amen? From what I see, I'm proud to tell people about what God's doing. At Starbucks, uh, me and my dad go there and we pray in the morning and kind of prep our sermons on Sundays. And people walk through and we get to have these great little conversations with people and say, Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm writing a sermon. You're doing a what? I'm a pastor down at a local church, you know, down at, oh, what church? St. Michael's. Oh, the charismatic Episcopal church, you know. Oh, the snake handlers. No, not that charismatic. Come on. I literally got asked that this morning. But I get an opportunity to say, I'm going to serve Jesus. And I live my life oriented around him. And do you know what the most common response to that is? Man, I got to get back to church. I got to go to church. Like, yes, you do. Absolutely. Please do. The reason the church grew is because of all the stories in Acts. And all the stories in Acts have to do with the people in the church going into the community and bringing Christ with them. Amen? And so as we end this sermon today, our church is a church centered on Jesus Christ. But if it only stays a church here, then we're not really centered on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was out there. Amen? It's impossible to be a church centered on Jesus Christ if all you ever do is here. You have to be out there. Amen? Amen. We'll skip to the prayers of the people. Brothers and sisters, aware that God cares for us more than we can imagine, let us present the needs of the whole world before him. That the church will always boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and through him we have peace with God. Lord, in your mercy, that governments will enact laws that promote justice and mercy for all their people especially the poor and the powerless. Lord, in your mercy, 
that Christians who are persecuted for their faith will remain faithful, remembering the promise of a great reward in the age to come. Lord, in your mercy, that we will acknowledge Christ in all our daily activities. Lord, in your mercy, that those who defend us at home and abroad will be protected by the grace of God. Lord, in your mercy, that those who are suffering from the loss of a loved one will be comforted by the promises of the risen Christ. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. With your spirit. Greet your neighbor with the peace of God. Peace. Peace. Lord be with you. With your spirit. That was an amazing chili cook-off yesterday. Yes, it was. All right. <laughs> is Bethany here today? Is she at home sleeping? I think sleeping? she's still picking up trash at the park. <laughs> still cleaning up the park. Amen. There were several winners, but none of the leaders winners. We ate them. (laughs) Great time. Great Great time. time, Great chili. Great desserts. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed it. If you missed it, sorry. (laughs) Be there next time. Congrats to all the winners, too, and all the races. Amen. uh, Amen. Desserts and chilies. And all the chilies were great. It really were. It really were. They were a lot. Well, there were some there good were a ones. lot. There were some good. I'm glad I brought my king size thing at Tom's. Fifteen. Judged fifteen chilies, and they they were all good. Um, our food ministry needs help on Mondays. We're low in the summer with people vacationing, so if you could come out and help us, uh, three three thirty every Monday. Absolutely. You know, we have we have people are traveling. It's summer travel season. I see some people from out of town. Always glad to have you here. Um, we pray for those people that are traveling. I'm going to be traveling, so pray for me. And uh, one of the things I recommend is just come on Mondays at 3 o'clock and pray while you work. There you go. Faith with works, prayer, it's perfect. Be here Monday. Excellent. Thank you. And then finally, the women's meeting you can put on your calendar. That's uh, the 5th of August. Uh, uh, C. Harris or Debbie Powell. All right. We will continue with our offering. Offer to God a sacrifice (laughs) of thanksgiving and make good your vows to the Most High. 
Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord. Thank you. 
By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, through your goodness we receive the wine that we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands that will become for us the blood of Christ. Blessed are you, Lord God, all creation through your goodness. We bring these tithes and offerings before you. They will be used in the church for the work that you set before us in the furthering of your kingdom. Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you call us out of darkness in your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. And we join in their unending hymn of praise. the fountain of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by the sending down of your Spirit upon them, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When presented, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. And he gave the cup to his disciples and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant to shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. Humbly, we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. Remember especially those who are sick, infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up Susan, Naomi, and Sonia, and Karen, and Tammy, and Chuck, and the uh, Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those serving us in the armed services. For our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, have mercy on us. You've made us worthy to share eternal life with Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, with the apostles, the martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who were called to the supper of the Lamb. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed those who call to the supper of the Lamb.
to touch you. I know of people that have needs in their life, and I want to pray for them, but I don't know what God knows about your needs, and I don't want you to miss this moment because God is wanting to move in your life in powerful and miraculous ways. So just lift up your needs to God. Please continue. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. During our Eucharistic prayer, you're probably not closer to the Lord than uh, then, any time in the service. You bring those needs with you when you come up and you receive the body and the blood. His body was broken. Yours might be healed. And so, don't think you're in any way presumptuous, cautious, or whatever. But come asking. Since you have not, because you ask not. So, feel comfortable coming to the Lord in that situation and asking Him to just touch you or someone you're praying for. Amen? Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you've graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you've fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and sickness. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness, the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking ruin of our souls.
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Remember the gospel of God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. God loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not angry with us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.